and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together into your presence to hear your word as we receive of your gifts, moved by your spirit. Remove distractions from our hearts and minds and let us rest in the promise of grace you have given us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, pleading the fifth, the fifth, oh yes, please, by all means. I apologize. It's a great opportunity to receive our offering. Thank you. Well, pleading the fifth, the fifth amendment, something that's been part of our constitution for quite a long time. And for those of you that forget what it is, it is this amendment that says that should you be tried for something that is uh, something you possibly did or did not do, you cannot be called as a witness against yourself. You give self-incriminating witness. It works out pretty well in the courts. I'm sure it's worked out well for some throughout history. We've seen examples of that. We don't need to go into all of those right now. Uh, but in that setting, in that place of the courts, that's where judgment lies in the civil realm. There's Luther points out in the large catechism, as we come to the fifth commandment for today, you shall not murder, he says, in all of the commandments beforehand, we've seen where God sets up authority in the church and in the civil realm. So God oversees judgment within the spiritual realm. And then flowing out of the fourth commandment, which is you shall honor your parents, you shall honor your mother and father, from that extrapolated, then, is the civil realm where authority is given to enact judgment. That's what governments are there for. We hear the Apostle Paul write about this, and we see it throughout Scripture, that God sets up governments to keep order in daily life. It's kind of like the parental realm expanded out quite a bit. So those are the places where the sword is born. That's, those are the places where judgment is allowed to happen. But as we flow from that setting of the first through fourth commandments there, and we get into this one, the fifth commandment then is pointing us more towards individual and daily life. When we hear this commandment, you shall not murder, what we hear from God is saying something to the effect of, don't go be a vigilante and enact civil judgment or spiritual judgment. That starts to get a little bit harder to do, right? And yet we see the core of this commandment even in a lot of our national laws and state laws. If you come into California, there's two in particular. There's California Penal Code 187, which says murder is the unlawful killing of somebody with malice and forethought. Ooh, all right. Interesting to think that they have to say it's an unlawful killing. Means maybe there's a lawful killing. And in some of the subsets of that law, it does lay out sections where it is okay to take a life. Unfortunately, those aren't very guided by scripture. Those deal more with abortion and other things. And it's heartbreaking to see a word of God that then gets corrupted as well. The other one within the California Penal Code is uh, 401, if I remember correctly. And that one has to do with suicide. And it says anyone aiding and abetting in somebody taking their own life is just as liable for the loss of that life. 
Again, there's subsets in the state law that allow for it in certain circumstances, and again, that is heartbreaking to see that that happens in that way. Yet even at the core of these two laws, we start to see something. We start to see that there is a value for life in some sort of way. That, I think, is what Jesus is getting to when we get to the gospel reading today. So where Jesus is at as he starts talking about anger, remember, is he is at the Sermon on the Mount. He's been preaching to his disciples. They've been hanging out on the north end of the Sea of Galilee, overlooking this beautiful lake and sitting up on a hillside, hearing these words from the Savior himself as he expounds upon all of the things that they had learned growing up. And this isn't just the 12 disciples. This is a whole gathering of folks sitting up on this hillside. And he says, you have heard it said to those of old, shall not murder and be liable to judgment. These are the words that they had grown up with. Whether it's the commandments directly from Moses or whether it was the writings and teachings of all of the rabbis from that time forward and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees that had talked about this law because Really, for most of us, as we look at the Ten Commandments, we might start to sit in the same position as a lot of the people of Jesus' day, where we say, okay, first few commandments of one, <clears throat> two, and three, yep, there's some places I need to work there, honor father and mother, yeah, I don't do that all perfectly all the time either, but you shall not murder, done, taken care of, no problem. And that would make you a really good Pharisee. Don't like to hear that, do you? Neither do I. <laughs> but that's what the Pharisees saw. They said, well, I haven't taken the life of anybody, so that commandment is done. I don't have to worry about that. There's 10. I am 10% of the way there. Well done. But of course, there's more to it. See, Jesus then starts to expound upon this one, and he says, look, you've heard it said. You've heard it said, don't murder. Otherwise, you're liable to judgment. But I tell you, if you're angry with somebody, you're liable. Ooh, that hits a little bit deeper, doesn't it? How many times have you sat in the car yelling at the person next to you in another car when they can't hear you and maybe wanted to just bump them a little bit? No? That's where the racetrack is fun. If you ever go racing or something, you can do that. And it's legal. Not on the roads, though. Don't do it on the roads. Or how many times do we sit in one room of a house while there's a beloved family member sitting in the other room of the house and we're just trying to wrap our heads around how they could do something so inconsiderate when we're called to live life together, when we're called to take care of them? How many years go by in between fathers and sons? How many decades go by in between mothers and daughters? because of some word that was said that was harbored in the heart and this anger that then flowed out from the heart into words that made a division in a relationship that sometimes you actually don't get a chance to repair. Anger can do a lot of things. Anger divides. Anger, when it's held on to, turns into resentment. It leads us to want to do something with our words or our hands that's going to harm somebody or harm a relationship in some way. Anger sits within us and it makes us 
think of that other life as less valuable than our own. And it can lead to murder. More often than not, in most of our settings, it can lead to just a dwindling of a relationship. It can lead to divorce. It can lead to all kinds of things. And this loss of life doesn't come just from anger. I was thinking about it the other day. There's so many different ways Satan works to work within us to take our eyes and devalue life. I mean, think of despair and confusion and all these other places, depression and other ways in which Satan focuses us so inward on ourselves that we forget about everything else and maybe even to the point to where we don't think our own life is valuable. We hear the words of God again, shall not murder, okay? Beautiful side of a shall not is that there's always a shall. What shall you? We follow Luther in the catechism a little further. He says, you shall not hurt or harm your neighbor with your hands, your words, or your deeds. We walk through that a little bit. But what you should do what you should do is do everything you can to help them protect their life, to help them protect their days, to lift them up, to heal and to take care of, to offer protection and provide for them. Oh, well, how do we do that? Doing that, it takes a little bit of humility a lot of times. As Jesus said, if you're at the altar and you remember that your brother, your sister, has something against you, leave your offering that you brought to God on this special feast day while you're at the altar in Jerusalem and go home. Go home, make things right with your brother and sister. Go home, repair the relationship. Go home and make sure that the one you live life with knows that there is a wrong that happened and if they do know there's a wrong that happened and it's because of you, then ask for forgiveness. Make the relationship right between the two of you. Have a reconciliation. Be there for one another. Don't let the anger so reside within your heart to where it causes a division that makes you regret something you didn't do and all of a sudden didn't have time to do. Just forget about the offering you're going to give to God while you hold on to anger in your heart. Leave it. Go make things right with your brother or sister. Isn't that what God did for us? I mean, here his creation lay in the Garden of Eden in this Sabbath day of rest where everything is beautiful and wonderful. And Adam and Eve were there in a perfect relationship with each other, with creation, and with their creator. What a beautiful, brief moment. Until division came in, and finger pointing started, and it was her fault, and his fault, and the serpent's fault, and it was that fault, and this fault, not my fault. God said, well, there's a separation now. Your work hasn't changed, but it's going to be hard now. Yet I promise you I'm going to make things right. I promise you I'm going to reconcile things between me and you. And in fact, I'm not even going to call on you to do it, but I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to send one who is your savior. Now, Eve, he's going to come from your line because in order to make things right, he's going to need to take on flesh, but he's going to be my son. 
and serpent, your head's going to be crushed. You're going to bruise his heel, but his head's, your head's going to be crushed, Satan. And when Jesus came and took on flesh and lived in the dirty muckiness of this anger-filled world, he did so without an anger or a resentment in his heart. It doesn't mean he didn't get angry. But that anger went towards a point of reconciliation. That anger went towards a point of pointing people back to God. That anger went towards a place in which he did not hold on to it in a sinful way or let it run from the desires of a sinful heart. No, that ran from the desires of a pure heart, which you and I don't have on our own. But by God's grace and mercy and Christ and work of his Holy Spirit, it just starts to soften our hearts so that we would have some sort of idea of what God would have us do for others. This beautiful point of reconciliation, this beautiful point of sharing love and grace and joy and mercy, exactly what God has done for us in Christ as he has taken care of everything needful for us into eternity and then turns us loose to take care of one another. What a beautiful opportunity. Have you seen that happen? There was a moment uh, when my mom and my little brother and I lived in Ventura, and we lived a few doors down from the beach, and next to our house was a big sand lot, okay? It didn't have a fun baseball diamond in it by any of those who really loved the movie. It wasn't that kind of sand lot. It was actual sand, and it was just an empty lot that nobody had built a house on yet, and in between that lot and our house was this brick wall. There's a stone wall that was right in between, and one afternoon we saw a couple starting to set up camp out in the sandlot. Now you've got some options. You can call the police, but it didn't quite seem like that was necessary. And we knew the area well enough to know that in the evening time, sometimes it wasn't always the safest spot to be. There's a few different types of people that would walk along down in that area. So here's this young couple setting up camp in the sandlot that seemed like it was just a fine spot. And all of a sudden, I see my mom walk out. And she kind of pops over the fence and looks over at them for a second, gets their attention, and then walks over and says, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. Because I know this isn't the safest spot. Um, but on the other side of that stone wall right there, we've got a driveway that's got a fence on the front of it, and we don't park our car there or anything. Do you want to set up your tent on the driveway? Come in where you can be protected a little bit. Come in where you know you're going to be safe. Come in where you know that no one's going to try and drive through that sandlot and take out your tent. Come in to this space. These are people we had no idea who they were. And my mom's offering them a space of protection, a space where they could be cared for. It was beautiful. I started to see that through that, in those little moments, that, that's where we could have left it. But the next day, it was, do you need a shower? And then the next day, it was, we cooked some extra dinner. And then all of a sudden, by the fourth day that they were there, they said, can we cook you dinner? By the end of this, we welcomed them into the home. They were new friends. They had been traveling from Quebec and were going all the way down through the western coast, all the way down into Baja and everywhere else. Yet in this brief moment, we got to have a few days with them where we got to enjoy a meal and have new friends in life to enjoy God's creation with. That's what God calls us to. The flip side of this fifth commandment is to point us to love and care for one another, to make things right between each other, to lift each other up, to 
provide for. And man, so many times in the church, we harbor anger towards one another before we ever look at what the needs of the other person are. So much of Christianity has such a vast division because of anger and resentment. Those things are hard to navigate. That division is never good. Yet, this side of Christ's return, those divisions are going to remain because of a faulty understanding of God's word. And it's an imperfect understanding, but we do our very best to speak his word in truth and purity and to know that Christ has done all things for us and then sends us out for one another. So it doesn't mean we can look at everything and say everything's true. No, God's word is true and his truth that's in there is that's the one. That's it. It's the one truth. We do our very best to try and figure it out. So we try and navigate that. But let our hearts not reside in anger, but in thankfulness that God has called so many to himself in Christ, that he has given forgiveness so beautifully and freely to his creation, that he has reconciled us, who in our sin were enemies of God. And he's given us forgiveness and life in Christ. That's what you have in Jesus. That's what you have in the promise of the Savior. That's what you have in your baptism, and that's what you have in God's work done for you. His word proclaimed into your ear. His forgiveness handed over to you freely. So that each day when you wake up, you can remember that you are a beloved and baptized child of God who walks freely in the grace and mercy of Christ and knowing that you are forgiven before the Father and sent out to care and love for one another. there you go. That's what we get to do in Christ, knowing that he has loved us completely and made us his own. Amen. Would you please rise as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We pray that you guard us and keep us in your grace and mercy for us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.